Pray in power. Yes. Prayer is very important. So there are themes in the Bible, and prayer would be considered what's known as a meta-theme, which is a monster theme. So we have micro, macro, and meta-theme, something that's consistent all the way through Scripture, and prayer is definitely one of them. Most people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. Um, They're not really sure what God's will is, or they believe oftentimes things that are not true about the Lord, such as God's not good, uh, the Lord won't answer them, or that they themselves are not worthy of God's goodness or God's kindness. And my question to that would always be, who told you that? Luke 18 says, Jesus spoke a parable to them, and he said that men and women ought always to pray and not to lose heart. We are commanded and called to pray. Prayer is a blessing to us. It's a privilege. Prayer must be a priority. This is important. Prayer is just not going to naturally happen. Right? Prayer is not like a, it's not 911. That's it, oftentimes how we treat, we treat prayer. We're like, oh, no. well, I guess we could just pray. Has it come to that? It's come to that? You know, it's like we, we, we use prayer as a last resort. Prayer is a lifestyle. So if you understand prayer, prayer is structured. But prayer is actually relational more than it is structure. The structure of prayer is so that you can get things done. And all the people understand, without structure, all of the structured people, the organized people understand that nothing's going to get done unless it's, it's organized. But prayer is really a communalness. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, what it's talking about is that there's just this breathing, moving relationship between you and the Lord all the time. That's, con- that's a constant of prayer. Then there's the structure of prayer. The structure of prayer is what moves the ball. When you're communing with God and you're speaking with God and talking with God, that's oftentimes the, inter- the exchange of wisdom, the exchange of knowledge, the exchange of worship. That's, that's, those are, that's a different type of exchange, if you understand that. You know, prayer is basically a lifestyle. Prayer is not a prison. That's the first thing I should say to you. I want you to say that with me. Prayer. Say it with me. Prayer is not a prison. Who told you that? And we think it's prayer. i got to get into my prayer closet. Yes, and we act like it's like we're going to be tortured, you know? It's like this is going to be this tortured thing that I'm going to have to pray. Ah. It's not that way. Prayer is to, but it's supposed to take a priority in our lives. Most people, a lot of Christians, they never even think about Jesus most of the week. They don't. And they come to church to have somebody tell them about Jesus, and then they go about their business the rest of the week. We're, we're to, we, we move with him. We interchange with him. Prayer is this lifestyle in which we, we interact with him constantly, but it's also a structure. So I'm going to walk you through the structure. I'm going to show you where power comes from. I'm going to show you why, what makes prayers get answered. It's going to be a, 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 a stacked series, and hopefully if you will pay attention, that's the word that I have, and apply the things that I'm going to teach you over the next few weeks, it's going to change a lot of things in your life. It's going to change your perspective. It's going to change the dynamic, and it should sh- it's going to shift your life. Matthew 21, 12, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out those who were buying and selling there, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who sold doves, and he said, it is written, my house will be called the house of preaching. No, it was written, my house will be called the house of worship. No, it is written, my house will be called the house of for all nations, all are, well, and all are welcome, but you are making it a den of robbers. The context of what Jesus is doing here is that the religious leaders of the day, they were, God had created the Jewish people. He called them to himself to have a relationship with them, and they created a religion. This is what we do. Jesus calls us to relationship. We create a religion. Right? And so they had created a religion, and part of that religion was this highly structured, formal presentation, uh, a, a method of worship. There was a structure, there was a liturgy when they approached the Lord, but the Jews had put this high level of structure around it. And they not only took, put this high level of structure, they themselves were the gatekeepers of it. And so they looked at it and said, hey, wait a second, we're the gatekeepers here, we can make money off this. So the people have to come and give a sacrifice, that's fine, but we get to approve the sacrifice. The people have to come and give an offering, that's fine. All of that's in the scripture, but the Jews made them change their money. So if you came with American dollars, you couldn't give American dollars to the temple. You'd had to come to the priest, and the priest would exchange it for temple money. And guess who set the currency rates? The priests. 
So they were literally ripping the people off. You bring a dove, Mitch comes and brings a dove, which is, off, which is an offering of the Lord, or he comes and he brings a lamb. Mitch brings that lamb. We, I get to examine the lamb. Well, let me look at this lamb. No, oh, you got a little gimpy leg back here, Mitch. You can't offer that to God. This, this lamb isn't kosher certified. But right this way, let me take you over to the kosher certified section that we are offering you, and that ram right there is going to cost you $600. What? 600 bucks just to offer the lamb? I paid $9.99 back home, man. What's this going on? They were making these high rates of exchange. And what they were doing is they were falsely portraying God to the people. They, their, their method was showing that God is this rip-off God, that God is this extorting God. And so Jesus comes in there while they were doing this. He's like, I never prescribed this. This isn't what I asked for. This isn't what I called for. And he flipped the tables over. He did it twice. The Bible says he actually made a whip. And was stinging them on the backside as they walked out the door. Don't do this. You defame this house. You defame who, who our father is. The people were called to bring an offering. They were called to make a sacrifice. All of that was true. But they were exploiting and extorting them. And Jesus said, this is not a den of thieves. This is a house of prayer. When the chief priests and the teachers saw the wonderful things that he did. So then, okay, so first thing he does is he purifies it. So Prayer, this is a, a process of prayer here. So he, he turns over the tables of the money changers. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him, and he heals them. Jesus starts healing, right? Right in front of them all. They had a problem with him doing that too. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children began to shout. So Jesus is healing people, and all of the kids are singing the song, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means the salvation of God is now. Save now. So the salvation of God is now to the son of David. So he's using, the, the, the children are singing a song, and they're using a word called Hosanna that is reserved only for the praise of God. You don't just run around saying Hosanna to anybody. Hosanna, Mitch. They go, Mitch is right in front of me. I'm getting, Mitch is getting it all this morning. So Hosanna. They don't, you don't run around saying Hosanna. You, Hosanna, that was a praise that was reserved only for the Lord. And then they used the messianic title. Son of David was a title given only to the Messiah. And so the priests are offended. They're like, do you have any idea what these people are saying? They're calling you God, and they're literally proclaiming you to be the son of David that you are the Messiah. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, yep, I know exactly what they're saying. He says, and have you never read? Which is, again, he's challenging them because they were supposed to know. They're teachers of the law. They are teachers of the word. They're supposed to know these things. And Jesus says to them, have you never read? Which is a huge insult. Says to them, have you never read that from the lips of children and of babes, the Lord will command and call forth perfected praise? So what's going on here, right? What's going on here? The house was first purified Purified of what? Purified of selfish intentions. Purified of selfish desires. Purified of things that only reflected back to themselves. This is how prayer gets answered. When the house was proclaimed to be a house of prayer, then the house became purified. If my people who are called by my name will, will seek my face and do what? Turn from what? Their self-seeking ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will move my hand and I'll heal their land, right? Second Chronicles 7.14. So this is the same idea. Prayer purity in the sense of God saying that we are proclaimed to be a people in a house of prayer, but there has to be, but there has to be a purity of intent behind the prayer. It's not directed all back to you. It's not gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. And it's not that God doesn't have a problem providing for you because prayer is clearly the path of provision. But that's not, that's not the intent. Most Christians treat Jesus like he's a bellhop. Ding, ding, ding. I need Jesus. Two cheeseburgers. Order a fries, salad, and a milkshake, and hurry it up. Ding, ding, ding. They, cut, they order up. They use prayer like it's room service, and they wonder why God does not answer them because it's not, there's no relationship with you. It's like, bro, I haven't talked to you in six years, and the first thing you want from me is to order a cheeseburger. You know, It's kind of like that. It's a relationship. Treat your wife like that. Treat another person like that, and you'll see that it's completely the same. Somebody just calls you up out of the blue, and every time they call you, they only God doesn't have a problem with you being needy. That's another thing I want to make you clear on. It's not about need, but what the problem is, is what they were doing was everything was self-focused, and they were exploiting the things of God for their own personal gain. With that, say, well, what are we supposed to do? Don't we have needs? Yes. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and what? Everything will be given to you. What you need is preceded by seeking forth God, his dominion, and what is right to him, and that creates the flow back to you. 
Most I've, I hear pastors saying, God's going to get on your vision, and God's going to help you with your vision and your dream. I'm like, no, he's not. No, he's not. God's going to help you with the dream and the vision that is born in him. He's not going to help you with the dream and the vision that you just come up with. Well, I have a dream and a vision to go and do this. God, you just get after it and start making this thing happen. That doesn't work that way. It, do, it does not. It doesn't work that way. God, the vision that God has for your life is in direct proportion to the relationship. It's direct proportion to the desire that he has placed within you. It's the vision, the purpose, and the calling that is over your life. And when you activate the, and all of you have one, every single believer has a vision, a purpose, and a calling, and a destiny over their life. doesn't mean it's active. The majority of them don't even achieve it. I was just telling my wife in the car, I was talking to the Lord about a bunch of things, and I was just telling him, I was like, Lord, this just takes so much time. I felt like the Lord leaned in and goes, Kevin, most people don't even get there. You know, be encouraged that you're actually moving towards it. Because most people don't ever even get toward, don't even move towards the things that God has for them. Most don't. And most, most don't believe God loves them because they're off on their own agenda and they keep asking God to bless their mess. He's not going to bless your mess. He'll help you with your mess, but he's not going to bless your mess, Christian, unless it's found in him. You have to do what is right to him and God will bless it. Well, I want God to bless this relationship. Is it in him? No. Why are you asking him to bless it? You know what he's going to do? He's probably going to cause the relationship to go boom. But God, I was asking you to bless it. And he's going to go, I did. <laughs> I cut off what is dead, disease, damning, and, grow, and, and damaged and growing back in on yourself. So a lot of times, you know, we got to understand like the context of prayer and why Jesus flipped those tables, kicked the people out, and why prayer, the proclamation of prayer, has to come with purity. Purity. Purity of intent, purity of motive, purity of desire. I'm believing God for a million dollars. These are examples I use with you guys, right? My question is always why. Jesus doesn't have a problem with a million dollars. He doesn't have a problem with financial blessing. My question is why? What is your motive? What is the intent of that desire? I want a wife. I want a husband. Wonderful. Why? So I'm not alone. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Why? So that I can fulfill the call of God upon my life. So that God can give me the wife that is mutual to me, that will help me fulfill my destiny. And that God will give me to the woman that, who is called to me, that I can help fulfill her destiny. That together, us in Christ would be harmonized in relationship to his kingdom. You got his attention now. Your motives have to be centered in him. It's not about God not wanting you to give you a relationship. It's not about God not wanting to prosper your business. It's not about God not wanting to bless you in every way. He will. The problem is, is you ask amiss. That's what James says. You're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking purely for selfish motives. I want money so that I can look down on everybody, right? I want money so that I never have to worry again. Okay, well, those are, those are human motives, but those are not kingdom motives. I want money so that I can become a major benefactor and a funder to the gospel, to the ends of the earth. Great. Now you've got heaven's attention because now that desire is centered in him. You see how this works? When we're praying and we're seeking God, the reason that the river doesn't flow oftentimes is because our hearts are misaligned. They're misaligned. Well, God doesn't answer prayer. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He always answers prayer. Always. You don't hear an answer or God doesn't. You're asking because you're outside of the context of what he wants. James, that's what James tells us. And that's what's going on here. So he purifies it. You have to purify your desires. You want power and the power of prayer to move in your life. You have to first realize that there's a proclamation of prayer over your life. Then you have to realize that I have to purify my heart and my desires. The easiest way to do that is ask, your, ask yourself, what's my motive? Real easy. I want that new car. Why? What's my motive? Well, because I need a car. And I like a car. Okay. It's, you know, you have to ask yourself why you need that. Look, there's nothing wrong with that. People are like, oh, I don't know. What are you trying to say, Kevin? It's like, look, like, do, I, do you need that Mercedes AMG? Do you really need that? What, what exactly are you wanting from that car? If you make the money and you're a faithful giver, have at it. But if you make money and you are not a faithful giver, you better examine your motives. Because that's exactly what God told them to do in Habakkuk. You live in paneled houses, dressed to the nines, and I can't even put doors on my house. Consider your ways. God didn't have a problem with paneled houses and luxury buildings and luxury cars and luxury items. He didn't have a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with you having that. His problem is, is that he's second. That's the problem. Do you understand how this works? Am I, am I getting through to you guys? Or am I, you know, I know in, in Christianity we don't teach this. 
anymore, but this is literally how the kingdom works. He doesn't have a problem if you live a house on a water driving a Mercedes AMG with a Rolex on your hand. He doesn't have a problem with that. I know that's shocking. If, the, if you are a benefactor to the kingdom and you are giving in proportion to your income and you are giving in proportion to your generosity, the, the blessings of the Lord are sure. He adds no sorrow to it. The problem is, is that people prosper at the expense of, their king, of the kingdom. People prosper at the expense of their calling. That's the problem. That's where it's offbeat. That's where it's shifted. We're called first and foremost to his kingdom, first and foremost to what he has commanded us to do. Do you understand that? God doesn't have a problem with luxury items. God doesn't have a problem with... The, this stuff is not, is not, a, God's not God's problem. Lord told me a long time ago, you think money's my problem, Kevin? Money's not my problem. It's a revelation. It said, my streets are made out of gold. My walls are jasper. My gates are pearls. I, there's a sea of diamonds up there, man. I mean, that's only what John could figure out what he was looking at. <laughs> you live in a wealth resource. You live on, you, we are living on top of a wealth-generating resource. The earth that you're standing on is generating wealth. I don't know if you know that. Oil, diamonds, gold, rubies. Whoever told you that we're running out of oil doesn't know what they're talking about. Whoever told you that we're running out, the earth itself is constantly producing these things. Constant, 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 constant. The atmosphere, there's always a deal. There's always an opportunity. You say, I need God to give me a deal. I need God to give you an opportunity. No, you need God to give you wisdom, discernment, and courage. The discernment to identify the deal, the wisdom to know how to do it, and the courage to make it happen. That's what you need. Wisdom and understanding is greater than gold and silver. And again, this is a money conversation. I'm like, somebody's here pulling on money. I don't know who's wanting money but, or believing God for money, but that's what's happening here. And so this is why Jesus flipped the tables over and he purified it. Then it became a house of power. So do you see how that works? The proclamation of prayer, the purity of the rights and the motives, and boom, power flows. See that? Immediately, verse 14, the blind were healed, the lame were healed. All these things started happening. When did power flow? When the proclamation of prayer was released, which is the communal atmosphere of God, when the purity of motives began to, be, began to line up, power began to flow. And as soon as power began to flow, you have perfected praise. We want a house of worship with perfected praise. Okay, then make it a house of prayer. Have purity in your motives and your intent. Let power flow. That's, that's a big negative in the American church. We don't let power flow. And then perfected praise will come. Perfected praise comes through power. And who was praising? The children. The children were like, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> prayer is the purity of worship. It's not religious. Prayer is relational. It's about presence, not, re not pretense. So prayer is a relational thing. Jesus hears you. He talks to you. He communes with you. He talk, this is, this is, this is the, 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 the primary aspect of prayer is relationship and communion. That's the primary, that is the center of prayer. Everything outside of that relationship is where the structure of prayer exists, but the structure of prayer is meaningless without the communalness of the relationship. If you, the first, you need to develop that communalness of relationship. Many people pray in structure. That's fine. Go ahead. But I would lean to you and say develop the communalness of prayer and add that to your structure. Then there are people that pray a lot with communalness of prayer. And I would say that's good too. But you need to add to you the structure of prayer. They're not, one, they're not, they're not um, in, in, independent of one another. They exist within each other. I pray all the time. You pray without, see, I talk to Jesus every single day of my life. Every day. I, I'm, like, I'm like in a fight if I, can't get, if I can't talk to Jesus. Every day I talk to the Lord. And it's not what I want. It's what are you saying? What are you doing? I worship him. I honor him. I adore him. I do adoration for him. And then I begin to commune with him and begin to listen to him, begin to get guidance from him. Structured prayer, 100%. I do, I do communal prayer way more than I do structured prayer. <gasps> you don't do structured prayer, Pastor? No, I don't do it as often as I probably should, but I do do communal prayer. Because communal prayer is really what he's looking for. It's really what he wants. And again, let me be clear. Struck, I'm, I'm teaching a series on the structure of prayer. <laughs> but let me just show you what, what, really it's, what's, what it's really all about. It's always and forever about you and your heart. We say it's all about Jesus, and Jesus said it's all about you. You understand that? You are the apple of his eye. You are everything to him. He, he's, he, he covets your time. He, he desires your time. More than anything, anytime you set up a time to meet with Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to meet you. Anytime. He'll meet you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going he's to almost block your life out. To, he's gonna, he becomes so jealous for your time. 
So if you pray in the car, it's going to be amazing how many car rides you get. You're going to have these long car rides because Jesus is going to put you in a position where he can commune to you. If you get up early and you like to talk to the Lord that way, be amazed. Your eyes are going to spring open at 6 in the morning. Jesus is going to go, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Any, any husbands in the room, right? Your wife wants to talk to you, right? Here's my, here's my favorite. Are you awake? Are you awake? Well, I was. Are you, are you asleep? Or she'll say something like that. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? I'm like, I was. <laughs> like, I want you to come in here and spend time with me. And I'm like, what do you want to do? And she'll be like, I just want to talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> that is God's love nature reflected through the woman. He's the same way. He's not, he's, he wants this communalness. He wants this nearness. He wants this closeness with us. It's, it's about presence, not pretense. Prayer activates power. Prayer activates perfected praise. You begin to worship God and you begin to move in the spirit. You begin to honor God. It's amazing. All of a sudden, praise just starts coming out of you. Freedom starts coming out of you. You're not free because there's, most of us, we're not free because we're not, we don't, we have to commune. It's from that loving communion with the Lord that all of this stuff happens. Everything comes from the spirit of God, people. Everything comes from in the spirit, by the spirit, and through the spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're, we, we may as well, we're just, we're, we're religion. That's really what we are. And Jesus didn't come to start a religion, A. He came to start a revolution. Understand that? He came to establish relationship and renew relationship with us, and he came to establish a revolution, of transformative revolution, not a religion of rituals and rules. That's not what he did. That's not to say there isn't rituals. It's not to say, oh, you know. My thing is like when uh, I had somebody tell me one time about purity, when I was talking about the purity of intent, and the guy goes, well, Jesus, I think Jesus is talking about holiness here, Kevin, you know, Pastor Kevin, and, and uh, the Bible says that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And I'm like, yeah. That's true. And I go, how's that working for you? How's your holiness? Are you, do we have the ability to manifest holiness? Does anybody here have the ability? You know, I want to ask this question. This is a legitimate question. Does anybody here, in and of themselves, have the ability to manifest holiness? No. Say it with me. There is no holiness without the Holy Spirit. And what's the implication? Without holiness, no one will see the, God, see the Lord. In other words, without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see the Lord. That's what he's saying. It's the Holy Spirit that manifests our holiness. It's the Holy Spirit that manifests, that does for us what we can. Your works do nothing. You can't do anything. You can't do anything that's holy. You can't do anything. That's why Christians, they do these holiness movements, and they put everything in externals. They structure everything through externals. It has nothing to do with externals. The externals are meaningless without the internal. Jesus said you clean the outside of the cup, but do nothing about the inside. It's about the inside. My holiness, when God freed me from this understanding that, like, I would always be like, oh, I could do it for a day or two, and then I would just fall apart. <laughs> it's like the, I always look at it as the bench press, right? I'm going to hold up my holiness. I got my holiness. 48 hours later, my holiness is starting to fail, right? Somebody cuts me off in traffic. My holiness has just completely failed. <laughs> but with the Spirit, totally different game, ladies and gentlemen. Never, they never asked Jesus to teach them to preach. They never asked Jesus to teach them to worship. But they did ask him to teach him to pray. Interesting. Why is that? You have a group of guys that have been, were associating with him, observing him, because that's really what they were doing. They were following him. They were with him. They were participating with him. But they were watching him and observing him. And they would notice that Jesus, every, hey, guys, you ever notice this? That Jesus, like, we go to this place, and Jesus goes off to pray. And then he comes back and he does miracles. And then we go off to this other place and Jesus prays. And he comes back and he does miracles. You guys ever notice that? There's somewhere in between the miracles, there's prayer, miracles, prayer, miracles, prayer, miracles. Anybody ever notice that? They noticed it. That's why they asked him, teach us to pray. Teach us how you do what you do. Teach us how you activate what you activate. They asked him to teach him to pray. Jesus is like, no problem. We have to learn to tap into our inheritance. We have to learn to tap into the supernatural resources that are available to you. God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Your inheritance lies in the spirit. Your wisdom lies in the spirit. Until you learn to access those resources, it's never going to happen. And we have to learn how to access it. Sometime in your life, ladies and gentlemen, the, the externals of Christianity are not going to be enough for you. 
They're not. All of the things that you practice, all of the things that you do, all of the scripture that you can quote is not going to be enough for you. Unless you understand the communalness and the power that lies within prayer and lies within the spirit. Listen, I know a lot of word. I'm a word guy. I can machine gun you with the word. So you like you do it every Sunday, Kevin. You like lay it out there. But the, the point being is that I, I realized that no matter what the word would only take me so far, it didn't push me through the goal line. The, I needed the power and I needed the spirit of God to take me where I could not go in that other way. So we have to learn to tap into this. And this is the, the way we tap into our resources and the way we tap into our inheritance. Every Christian has an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in the, in the saints. You have an inheritance. You have a destiny and you have a calling. Your inheritance has nothing to do with your destiny and your calling. Your inheritance, every believer in this room has the same inheritance. Exactly the same. But not everybody in this room has the same destiny. Not everybody in this room has the same calling. You understand? But all of us have the same inheritance. A, Jesus. B, Holy Spirit. C, wisdom. D, access to the spiritual gifts. Those are all rights of inheritance. There's plenty of them. I'll probably do something on rights of inheritance, but those are all belong to you by inheritance. They're yours. They have nothing to do with you. Nothing. You can completely blow your life up with sin and go to the Lord and ask him for wisdom, and he gives it to you. He gives it to you without even asking you to repent before he gives you the wisdom. I know it's mind-blowing. Why? It's not that you don't need to repent. You do. But your repentance does not, that sin does not disqualify the inheritance that is already yours. Amen. It belongs to you. It's, it's hard because the church doesn't understand this. And we don't teach this. We don't, and we don't understand why God is gracious and why God, where, where this is coming from. It's coming because it's yours by inheritance. That's why you have pastors and leaders that can be doing the most sinful, awful things in their life and in their lifestyle, unfortunately. You know, because they're not perfect. They got issues. They have contradictions. Yet they can still manifest the spiritual gifts. Why is that? Because the, the spiritual gifts have nothing to do with your inheritance, with, you, with, your, with your lifestyle. The spiritual gifts have everything to do with your inheritance. Look at the evangelists over the, over the centuries. Look at the faith healers. Look at all these guys that were able, and that's where Christians go, well, that guy was a fraud. He was a fraud. Those healings were a fraud. Why were they a fraud? Because the guy had sinful contradictions in his life. Therefore, those miracles were a fraud. Wrong answer. Those miracles, if they were validated, were, were valid miracles. The guy had contradictions, but the anointing that is in his life and the, the ability to manifest the spiritual gifts, which all believers have by inheritance, is not predicated upon you. Lady here, Margie, she went and prayed for a guy that got in a motorcycle accident. The guy has a motorcycle accident right in front of her. She lives in, I think she, oh, she's not here. She lives in Hialeah. I think she lives in Hialeah. Or she lives over on A Street, somewhere near him. Motorcycle accident, boom, guys under, she said, it was a loud bang. And she's like, you know, we're Latin, so we, we're Spanish, so we all run out into the streets, you know. So she's like, everybody comes running out of the house to see what's going on. And there's a guy laying in the street, and he's all bound up because he just got in a motorcycle accident. And she had just come from Firestarters. We were teaching people how to, you know, prophesy, lay hands on the sick, all these different things, how to activate the spiritual gifts. She looks at the guy laying in the motorcycle, and she said she could hear the Lord going, go pray for her, Margie. And she's like, I, I, can't, I can't pray for him. I can't pray. And then she said, she said to me, I remembered what you told me, that the, the anointing and the power and the inheritance has nothing to do with me. And so she went over and prayed for the guy. And she started laying, and she speaks, she sells it in Spanish, which is really a lot more powerful. But because she, she said she laid hands on him and began to pray over him. And she said, and all of the, all of the, all of the Cubans were like yelling at her, like, stop touching him, stop touching him. And she said, I, she said, I looked at him and said, she says it in Spanish. So she, I, don't, I don't know how to say this in Spanish. But she says, I'm praying for him, you idiots. That's what she said to him. And she prayed for him, and the guy sat up. And she said the whole neighborhood was like, wow, that was God. That was God. And so God healed a guy right on the streets with a girl, with a woman who's here, who's never probably prayed for more than two or three people for healing before, but because she believed and because I we showed her how to access her inheritance, she's able to do it. Your inheritance has nothing to do with you. Your destiny does. Your destiny has to do with you. You have to make decisions, choices into your destiny, but your inheritance has nothing to do with you. Inheritance and destiny are two different worlds. They have a pastor who's able to manifest miracles and all these different things, or a leader or a evangelist or whoever he may be and he's manifesting the inheritance but his destiny was to be something else his decisions shortcut his destiny you understand that 
The guy's no longer able to do what he's able to do. He's disqualified himself because of his choices and the positions that he's put himself in. But he was still able to manifest his inheritance. They're two different things entirely. Jesus says this, if you want to learn what my power comes from, because Jesus is the prototype of the new creation, he says, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Come on, say it with me. Your kingdom come. Y'all should know it. Come on, we're in, we're, come on, you guys should know this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Come on, come on, come on. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have tre- trespassed against us. Exactly. Let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is an outline. This is not a repetition. Jesus is giving us an outline, a categorical outline of, of prayer. Each one of these are subjects or, or categories from which we pray from. They're not vain repetitions. He just says before he says the prayer, do not be like hypocrites and speak to God in vain repetitions. Yet that's exactly what we turn this prayer into. Go say five Our Fathers and six Hail Marys, right? Most of our liturgical churches teach this prayer is nothing more than a vain repetition. It's not a vain repetition, says, and when you pray, well, here it is, Matthew 6, 7. Do not use vain repetition like hypocrites, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask him. It's an outline, and it's a prayer guide, and it covers everything. It begins and ends with worship and adoration. Isn't that interesting? Enter his gates with what? Enter his courts with? That's right. Exactly. And we enter his gates with thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise. So the beginning of this, of this prayer begins with adoration, just like the Bible calls for. It calls forth and summons us to the kingdom. It's all about kingdom. It sections out everything you need and desire. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a section of everything you need and everything you desire. It provides for repentance. It helps us deal with our junk through prayers for deliverance. And it ends with joy. It's a powerful prayer. Neglected, but powerful. I've prayed it many times in my life. I get into it. You want to pray for an hour? Pray this outline? You'll pray for an hour, no problem. Oh, I could never pray for an hour. Are you sure you could? Yeah, you could. You pray this prayer in outline, you're going to pray. You, you'll pray for an hour easy. Easy. My challenge is even to, I'm going to teach you the sections of this prayer over the next few weeks. And my prayer for you is that you learn it. And what if you prayed one section each week, right? Like to San with her kids. What do you do with your kids? Monday is memory verse Monday. Tuesday is tongues Tuesday. Wednesday is worship Wednesday. Thursday is what? Thanks, Thanksgiving Thursday. And Friday is dreams and destinies, right? Yeah. She was asking the Lord, how do I spend more time with my kids? How do I develop my kids in the Lord? And God was showing you that you take them to school, so use the time in the car when you're taking them to school. And so she takes all her kids to school, and, and it's memory verse Monday. And so all the kids recite memory verse. Then, I love this one, right? All you charismatics out there, you should love this. Tongues Tuesday. All of the kids are praying in tongues in the car all the way to school, right? And she was telling me that there's like a peer pressure among them. Come on, you're not praying. You're not praying in tongues. You're not praying. And so they're all like praying in tongues, right? And Wednesday is worship. Wednesday they worship. So it's just a cool thing. Even like this, if we did, it's not everything. It's just like if you're able to just do, do a little, a bit at a time, it becomes very powerful. Prayer creates access so this is what prayer is. Prayer creates an access that we may access what first and foremost our inheritance. That you would know what your inheritance is in, in the saints. That you would activate the promises. Prayer enables you to activate the promises. God has given us great and precious promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature. Prayer gives us an ability to achieve our destiny. Everyone has a predetermined destiny. You have a destiny eternally, but you have a destiny that God has called you into in this world. You have one. You have one. Say, was it going to happen? Not unless you partner with it. Flip a coin. You have to partner with that destiny, man. You have to move toward it. You have to learn what it is, and you have to move towards it. Move towards it or move in the direction of it. So here's the first part of this prayer. I want to teach you this this morning. We're going to do this prayer. We're going to do a little bit, right? So today we're going to do a little bit of this prayer, right? So I want to prepare you. Be prepared. It's good. It's powerful. It's, good. it's loving. It's transformative. First part of the prayer is Jesus says, our Father. We should stop right there. Our Father. It's the most profound thing he could say. That is the thing that probably shocked the people that were listening to him the most because no one called God Father. They called him 
Elohim. They called him Lord Adonai, but they didn't call him Adonai out of the right, out of the right context. They would call him uh, the, the, uh, the supreme ruler of the universe. The Jews today still call him that. A lot of Christians call him different things. They never call him father. He's your father. He's not anybody's father. He's our father. We're all God's children. No, we're not. No, you're not. Not everybody that lives on the earth is God's child. You're God's creation. Only those who receive Jesus are God's child. Only God, those who receive Jesus have the right to be called God's son or daughter. And what a right that is. When the fullness of time had come, Galatians chapter 4, is what the Bible says. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So this is a virgin birth, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those that are under the law. We're under the law of condemnation, guilt, shame, the law of sin and death, in order that he would buy us out of that sin and death through his blood, through his sacrifice, that we may, what was the point of it all? That we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. So it's as much as it is about the redemption of us out of sin, it's equally as much as it is about being adopted as a son and daughter. Jesus could have just saved you and never called you his son. Jesus could have just saved you and never called you his daughter, and it would have been enough. Die anew. Huh? There's a thing that we do in the Seder and then the Passover. It's a Greek word that's in the Passover, and they do this thing where they dip, they dip their finger in blood, and they do these other things, and then they make this proclamation. And it says, if the Lord had but brought us out of Egypt, and everybody says, die anew. If the Lord had but, but parted the Red Sea, and they say, die anew. The word die anew means it would have been enough. It would have been enough. If all God did would save you, die anew, it would have been enough. But he didn't. He calls you his sons and daughters. If, if all God did was save me and call me his son, die anew. But he didn't. He now he calls me his son. He gives me full right of adoption. He gives me full rights of inheritance on day one. He gives me access to his spirit. He gives me access to his presence. I can come right up to the throne itself if I so desire. Come boldly before the throne of grace, right? No one keep, the only person that keeps you from the presence of the Lord is you. You're the only one. You and the lies that you believe. <laughs> Deal with the lies, right? The only body that keeps you from Jesus and the power and the fullness of what he wants for you or from his presence, the only one that can keep you out is you. The angels can't keep you out. The devil can't keep you out. Nobody can keep you out. Sin can't keep you out. Nothing can keep you from the throne of your father except you. Think about that. So what keeps you? What lie do you believe that tells you you can't approach your father? What lie do you believe that tells you your father's not good? Hmm? What lie do you believe that tells you that your father won't be good to you? What lie do you believe? Whose voice do you listen to? That's not God's voice. Is God, is, is, okay, has Jesus ever told you you're not worthy? Okay. Has Jesus ever told you you're not loved? Has Jesus ever forbade you from coming to him? If he has never done that and he's truth, but yet you feel that way, then what you feel or what you believe is a lie. The Lord has never told you that. And what it's telling you is that you are listening to a voice that is not his. Who told you you were naked? Whose voice have you been listening to that is not mine? Who told you that? Who told you you couldn't come before me? Who told you I wouldn't provide for you? Who told you I don't hear your prayers? Who told you I don't have a plan for you? Who told you that? Did I tell you that? No. Well, if I didn't tell you that and I am truth, then what you believe is a lie. And we have to deal with the lies. It'll change your life. We become adopted as sons and daughters. And, as, and because you are sons and daughters, here's the, good, here's the kicker. So he not only brings us out of sin, he calls us sons and daughters. Die anew. He says, wait, there's more. He sends his spirit into our hearts. And the spirit of adoption cries, Abba, Father. You can call God Abba, but through the spirit. It's amazing how the love of God flows when you're in the spirit, right? It's amazing how you feel the love and the acceptance of God when you're in the spirit. Christians don't feel the love and acceptance of God because they never get in the spirit. They worship at a distance. Israel worshiped at a distance. Did you know that? God told them they could all come, but not almost a handful of them did. The outer court was small. And Moses, there's an inquiry as to why God made the outer court small. Because even though all were called to come before him, not all would. They worship at a distance. Christians like, we never allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and to just let the love and the experiential power of God just begin to flow into you and over you. It's not about shaking. It's not about quaking. It's not about clucking. It's not about circling the church five times and yelling and screaming. It has nothing to do with that. It's about learning how to receive and move in his spirit through an impartation and the power of God moving in and with you. That's what it's about. And most believers never get to that point. They never get there. That's why they have a hard time experiencing the things that God has for them because either they will not allow themselves to go there. <laughs> Just a thought. 
Therefore, you're no longer slaves bound by sin. Hallelujah. You wouldn't say it. I'm not a slave. Oh, come on. You, I am no longer a slave. I am no longer bound by sin. But I am a son and a daughter. And I am an heir through Jesus. See that? Sons, daughters, heirs. Heirs of this world and the one to come. I had a guy just recently ask me, where do you get this one that we're heirs of the world to come? Well, like there's several passages, but let, I'll give you a really cool one. I think it's Daniel 7. Jesus is sitting upon his throne, right? He's getting ready to judge the nations. Ha ha. Cool story. The Bible says he sits upon a throne of fire and fire comes out of him. And wheels of fire are moving around him. And he's going to judge the nations. And he judges the nations. And the kingdoms of this world were rightfully delivered to him. And do you know what he does as soon as the kingdom? Anybody know and have any idea? When the kingdoms of the earth are rightfully delivered to Jesus and he will come and he will claim. He has a total right to this earth. Not because of his deity, but because of his humanity. The earth, was never, the earth was given by God to Adam. Christ's claim to the earth is not because of his deity. Christ's claim to the earth is because of his humanity. He fulfilled where Adam failed. Therefore, he is the living and rightful heir to the earth, and he will come and he will claim it. And when he does, the Bible tells us this dramatic story, this river of fire and these circling fire globes around him. And it says the nation, the kingdoms of this world were delivered to him. And do you know what he does immediately after he receives them? Does anybody know? He gives them to you. Do you know that? Jesus comes and gets the full reclamation of the earth, and the Bible says he delivers it to the saints. He gives it to you. You are heirs of this world and the one to come. It's true. And of, the gov- and of his government, there will be no end. You get to serve and minister a kingdom eternally with him. Not without him, with him. He shares it with you. Like, what? Yeah, just think about that. We are heirs. We are born of a new bloodline. So in Christ, we're born of a new bloodline. You're given the Holy Spirit, the seal of adoption. This is why we call him Father. You're no longer born of the earth, Christian. You need to, if you are a born-again believer, you are no longer born of the earth. I'm Italian. No, you're not. I'm Cuban. No, you're not. I'm Venezuelan. No, you're not. I'm Irish. No, you're not. You are born not of the earth. You are born of heaven. You are born of a royal bloodline. You are born of a royal seed. So long as you keep identifying with the earth, the end of the earth will be your inheritance. I don't identify with the earth. My, my inheritance is of heaven. I'm a son of the highest. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. Drop the mic. And so are you if you're in Christ. And you better learn to practice that. You need to program yourself into that mentality. You need to pound that into your head because that's truth. Oh, well, I'm this or I'm that. You're none of that. Did you, that you're born again, born of the blood of incorruptible seed through the blood of Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the seal upon your heart that you are adopted. That's what happens in that when somebody dies. Jesus claims those. It's like a fat. He goes, oh, that one's mine. Yeah, that one's mine. Yeah, that one's mine. Yep, come with me. The angels come and claim what rightfully belongs to the Lord at the end, at the end of days, but also when you pass through the veil. You don't have to worry about Jesus claiming you. There's no purgatory. The seal upon your heart will take you right through the door. And to be absent from the body will be to present with the Lord. But if you don't have the seal upon your heart, there's a fallen angel that will claim you. And he will say, that one belongs to me. And he will have every right to do so. You must be born again. If you're born, all of those who are of the legacy and the ancestry of the first Adam are the sons and daughters of, that are under the rebellion of sin. They are bound to a, a darkness. But you're not. You're bound to heaven. You're not like everybody else, so why do you act like everybody else? You're not, you're not common, so why do you see yourself as common? You know heaven never sees you as common? Do you know that? You can, you can stay, the minute you start to pray, the angels come to attention. Heaven begins to bend in your direction. And when you pray accordingly, and you pray according to the statue and the standard that you are in your identity, and you pray according to the promises, and you know who and what you are, heaven moves over you. The angels come to your attention. Say, I'm a nobody. You're a somebody. Jesus is in you. I don't care what you are. They'll listen to the littlest child if they know who they are in Christ. You need to learn and know who you are. You are not born of the earth, Christian. You're born of heaven. You're eternal. doesn't matter what you do. Say this. I am not what I am. I am not what I have done. Come on. My past does not define me. My past is not my prophet. Come on. Fear is not my prophet. My circumstances is not my prophet. My failures are not my prophet. The only one who has the right to speak over me is Jesus. Your circumstances don't define you. Your failures don't define you. Who told you that? 
Who told you that? Jesus defines you. We're given the Holy Spirit, the seal of adoption, the power and the testimony of, a son and, of our son and daughtership. The whole, Holy Spirit's whole job is to testify to you that you are the son of the highest, is to testify to you that you are the daughter of the highest. And you just go, Holy Spirit, come, and just let him, and he comes. And do you know when he comes? Immediately. You go to manifest the inheritance that is rightfully yours, and you know what the Holy Spirit does? He manifests the inheritance that is rightfully yours. His whole point is to testify and bear witness, not just to you, but through you, that this is son of the highest. This is a daughter of the highest. This one is not ordinary. Holy Spirit, manifest favor in the marketplace. Put favor upon me. Show me the ways of favor. Boom. It's your inheritance. Favor is your inheritance. Nothing fair about favor. It's yours by right. <laughs> you don't have to walk in it. Christians feel bad. I don't feel, I feel bad. I don't like, I'm, you know, I'm favored and somebody lost their job because of me. Nothing fair about favor. Somebody lost the contract because of me. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair about favor. I'm in a circumstance. I've been in many circumstances. A most recent circumstance, I was praying about it. I'm like, what do you want me to do here, Lord? And he said, you will not be ransomed here. They will. You will pay not one dollar of this. They will pay everything. <gasps> well, that's not fair. You should have to pay your share. Not if Jesus tells me I don't. Not if he tells me this circumstance was not brought about by you. You have no responsibility here. You can take it if you want it. Or you can allow them to bear the burden that is rightfully theirs. You will not, they, if somebody's going to be ransomed, it's not going to be the believer. It's not. It's not. That's inheritance, Christian. That's kingdom mindset. It's not taking advantage of people. It's people trying to extort you for things and demanding something of me that I have no right to pay. And they're pressuring something upon me that is not mine to right to inherit. And I'm asking God, what do I do? Do I, do I? work with this to bring peace to the matter, what do I do? And he says, you do nothing. You do nothing. He said, let them bear, let, there's going to be a ransom paid here, they're paying it, not you. Oh, I, don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. This is, this, is what, this, is, this is what favor is. For all being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? That's just, you're the son and daughter of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. Christians got to take their rightful place. The Bible says creation groans for what? Anybody know what creation is groaning for? Anybody? The revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Does that, what does that mean? We think, oh, what's when the sweet by and by, when Jesus comes, we're going to be revealed. You're revealed as us. The Bible says that creation, the atmosphere itself, is waiting for you to know who you are. The atmosphere over your life is waiting to shift the minute you understand what and who you are. Creation is groaning. They're like, oh, they just don't get it. Oh, they just don't get it. They don't get it. Oh, they don't get it. <laughs> Sweet by and by, the Christian will know that, that creation will stop groaning. No, creation is groaning right now. Right now. Do you know who you are? I know who I am. I go to meetings and they look at me like I'm on drugs, man. They're like, what are you, like, so full of arrogance or pride? I'm like, look, I didn't, did, did, did you give yourself the title? Let me just ask you that. If Jesus said you're a son of the highest, does anybody here, did you write that upon yourself? Did, did, does anyone lay claim to that without it being given to you? you? I didn't send a resume in for that. I didn't, I didn't put that title over myself. The Lord put it over me. He didn't, I didn't say myself, I'd say to myself, I have an inheritance in the saints. I'm a sealed, I'm no longer born of the earth. I didn't say that. He said that over me. You understand that? And what I'm doing is I'm saying the same. This has nothing to do about positioning myself in a seat that I, it's not mine. It belongs to me. And I'm going to occupy what God has said I can have. Just a thought. Father, here we go. So what does the word father mean? This is important. Right? We're going to do a prayer here in a minute, and this is going to be good. You're going to like the prayer. The word father is the Greek word potter. It means, first thing it means is leader. So when it says someone is fatherless, it means they are leaderless. So that's really what it's saying. The fatherless is potter, leaderless. It also means one who imparts. This is important. Spirit-filled believers, Christians as a whole, have to, the Bible commands us to understand impartation. Hebrews tells us Christianity 101 Laying on of hands, elementary principle of the kingdom. It, in other words, it's like your primary colors. 
we we're supposed to understand impartation. That's what it's talking about. Being able to receive in the spirit. Being able to release in, and receive in the spirit. That's impartation. We're supposed, all of us, are supposed, it's expected of us. It's, it's equated with baptism. Repentance from dead works and the laying on of hands, which is impartation. Why is impartation so important? Because your father is an imparter. It's what he does. He loves to impart. He imparts, first of all, we're, we're, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will what? Send the Holy Spirit. The Father imparts the Spirit to us. He sends the Spirit. They're all God. Don't want to get into all that. The Lord imparts new, the Father imparts new life. I'm gonna, not going to read all these verses, but I am going to say he imparts perfect love. He imparts to you an, the identity that you have as a son and daughter, and he imparts to you the understanding that you no longer have a home. Our Father. This is who our Father is. This is what our Father has for us. So in Christ, you're protected in love, having predetermined us with a destiny as adoptions as sons and daughters through Christ himself, through the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. God's desire is to father his desire is to impart to you the love and the acceptance that is rightfully yours. His desire is to impart to you the understanding that you're no longer an outcast. Who told you that? That it, Ephesians chapter 2 says, at one time you were without Christ. What does it mean to be without Christ? You're an alien to the commonwealth of Israel, of God's people, and you're a stranger to the covenants and promises, which the opposite of that is in Christ you are no longer an alien to the commonwealth of God's promises. You are no longer an alien to the commonwealth of God's covenant. It belongs to you. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ you were once far off have been brought near by the blood. So God wants to impart to you his inheritance. Your identity is sons and daughters. The father, one of the things a father does is he validates. You need validation? All of you need validation. It's the decree of legal standing. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father validated the son. The Holy Spirit in the water. You say, is God three people? Yeah, you have Jesus the son being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming upon him, and the father is speaking. It's a triune God, three in one. So your father, your heavenly father is the one that will validate you. Your heavenly father is the one that will affirm you. Your heavenly father is the only one that has the right to correct you. And if you know that, 1 Corinthians says this, but it, with me it is a very small thing. I tell people when they get married, this is why you don't marry unbelievers. Do you know why? Because an unbeliever has no accountability to the scripture. Do you know that? I'm like, was your husband a Christian? No, he's not. Well, I'm like, what do you want me to do? I can't, I can't tell him to obey the word that he has no context with. Usually when people come to me and they want to talk about marriage, or, and I mean, look, I practice it myself, and they want to talk to me about marriage relationship, I'm like, okay, are we believers here? We're, we're all Christians? You're Christian, Christian? Okay, so let me tell you what the word says. So you are accountable and judged by the word. You are led into and held accountable by the word of God itself. The Bible says this, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you. Ready? Say this with me. No one has the right to define me but Jesus, where do you get that from? It is a small thing that I am judged by you, or by any human court for that matter. For I, in fact, do not even judge myself, and I hold nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, because the one who judges me is the Lord. No one has the right to define you except Jesus. Who cares what other people think? Who cares what you think? You, your opinion of yourself does not matter. The only opinion that matters over you is the one your father has over you. Do you understand that? It's important. We live our lives in a prison of the fear of men. We live our lives in a prison of the fear of self. We have negative opinions of ourselves that Jesus never put over us. We're going to do a prayer of impartation. I'm going to show you how this works. So the idea here over the next few weeks is our Father who is in heaven. I'm going to take this. And so next week we're going to talk about the, king. We're going to talk about the names of God and what that looks like. And then the following week we're going to talk about the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to show you how to pray this. Anybody want to learn how to pray this? So I want to build a context for you as to what this idea of our Father actually means. And this is what it means. And one of the big things is that there's an impartation. So when Jesus is telling us, I'm going to show you how to pray this. We're only going to pray this little, little section. When Jesus is telling us to pray this, and we understand that our Father is the one who leads us, but more importantly, that we understand that our Father is the one who imparts to us. I'm going to show you how to pray this prayer in an interactive, in an interactive way. Anybody want to pray it in an interactive way? Yeah? Do you? All right, well, just stand to your feet.
Come on, stand your feet. Stand your feet. If you're at home, get up off the couch. No couch potato, Christians. Come on. We're going to pray this together. So what we're going to do is we're going to do an impartation. So what I'm going to I'm going to lead you in it. And when we're going to receive from the Lord, and what you're going to do, you're going to just pray the prayer, and you're going to let the power of God come inside of you. Say this with me. Impartation does not be, need to be understood in order to be received. I was doing impartation with the church one time, and I kept telling the Lord, I'm like, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. And the Lord tells me, they don't need to understand it in order to receive it, Kevin. Just tell them to receive it and stop trying to understand it. You have to give yourself permission. <laughs> Thank you. You have to give yourself permission to receive things that your mind cannot understand. Do you understand that? The Bible says spiritual things are spiritually, spiritually discerned. If they're understood spiritually. You're going to go, okay, I, I, I'm around. And then your head's going to go, what's going on here? Oh, I don't know. Just receive it. Say the prayers. Open your mouth. Say this with me. Father, I thank you that you are my father, that your dominion is over all. It is not my efforts, but it is by your mercy and your love that I am your son and daughter. It is by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that I have the right to call you father. Say this, I receive right now a fresh impartation of my sonship or of my daughtership. And right now, I just want you to let power just flow. Let just, let's feel warmth come inside of you. Let power come inside of you. He's imparting to you a fresh impartation. And I want you to say this, I thank you that I am divine royalty, that I am an heir to this world and the one to come. I have a privilege of ministering to you as your son or as your daughter. Come on. I want you to see purple, the most beautiful, brilliant color purple you've ever, received, you've ever seen. And I want you to say this. I receive a fresh impartation of my divine royalty right now. And I want you to let that purple just begin to rush inside of you. It's like color rush. Just let that purple begin to flood into you, this royal purple. Let it fill you. All the way up. I want you to say this. I thank you that as my father, you impart to me eternal life, hope everlasting, perfect love, and perfect acceptance. Now I want you to see your most favorite color, whatever your favorite color is, and I want you to let that color come inside of you. And as that color begins to come inside of you, I want you to hear the words perfect love come inside of that color. And I want you to let the words perfect acceptance come inside of that color. Just open up your, open up your spirit, and you'll see the color is going to come right inside of you. You're going to feel the power of that, and you're going to hear the word. Perfect love, perfect acceptance. And say this, I thank you, Father, that I am adopted with full rights of inheritance. The Holy Spirit is my seal of adoption, the activator of my inheritance in you. Now what I want you to do is I want you to say, I give myself fully to the Holy Spirit. I yield myself fully to your purposes and to all of the decrees that you have made over my life from the foundation of the world. And I just want you to release yourself to the Lord. Just release. And I want you to say this. I thank you, Father. Some of you are going to hear a word. You're going to hear him. You're going to, we're going to ask him to validate you. You ask him, say, who am I to you, Lord? He's going to tell you. If you ask him that question, he's going to tell you. You're going to get first word, first response. But we're going to receive validation, and we're going to receive um, affirmation, which is strength. You say this, I thank you, Father, that you are the one who validates me. No one has the right to define me but you. You are the one who strengthens me, and I will seek strength in no other. Father, I ask you, speak over me. Validate me. Who am I to you? First word. Now I want you to receive just the power. I want you to just hear this word validation just come inside of you. You don't have to understand it. Just let the Lord validate you. He's imparting it. And I want you to hear the word affirmation. That's the word, that's a root word of strength. And let the word strength come inside of you. The affirming power of strength come inside of you. I want you to say this. I receive your validation and your affirmation which is mine by right of inheritance. 
I want you to say this. It is your honor to give me your very best. It is my honor to you to receive your very best. Therefore, I receive your validation and I receive your affirmation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's our Father. It's just one way of praying it. So you understand how this works? Just a simple prayer of our Father. Who is our Father? This is who he is. And my Father is an imparter. So, Lord, this is who I am. This is who I am to you. And you're just saying these things, and you're receiving these things, and you're saying these things, and you're receiving these things. You guys get that? You get anything out of that? All right, we're going to do it now. Yes, okay. All right, one person. Diana's always in my corner. She's like, yay. Amen. Let me bless you. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Come on, receive it. You guys are going to get real good at receiving impartation. You're going to walk out of here just beaming, you know. Elevate's going to be like crack for some of you. You're going to be like, I need a hit, man. I need to get there because the Spirit of God is going to impart something to me today. I'm going to teach you so much about how to receive the impartation and the love that God wants to give you. May the Lord bless you. Receive it. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.